following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Saying, we're looking at Mark 6, verse 1 through 6, page 841. And this is the account where Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. Um, this is the this is the account where we get the the maxim a prophet is is uh, is not without honor except in his hometown. Um, it's it's no. Mark six. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Okay. Um, and uh, this is where that is proved true. And I can I can attest personally to a much lesser degree. Um, that this has been my experience as well. It seemed uh, funny that way, but it's it's a it's um, a sentiment that's shared by many in ministry. Um, but what we're what we're really going to be dealing with this morning, and we're going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk the whole time. Um, you get a chance. Uh, we're going to be um, dealing with the issue of uh, what does and what should limit people's views of Jesus. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're hoping to go in our discussion this morning. But first, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name this morning uh, to worship you in song and to uh, worship you with our attention and our thoughts uh, around your word. We thank you for the gift of your word and for the gift of your Holy Spirit we pray, Lord, that you would work among us to guide our discussion this morning, that you would keep us on track and focus on the things that um, that you want us to see from your word and to know about you. Um, we just look forward to what you're going to teach us through your word this morning. So we give you this time for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's study the scripture together. Look at Mark 6, start of verse 1. And it will be up on the screen as well, if that's helpful. Um, This is speaking of Jesus. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, whose brothers and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went among the villages teaching. Okay, so following the same pattern we've been doing for the last few weeks, as we study the scripture, let's ask some questions about what's going on here. So uh, start with the easy ones. Who, what, where, when, and why, as best we can. Uh, who is involved here in this account? Jesus, easy answer, good job. Right, gold star for Sunday school class today. Who else? Yeah, his disciples are there with him. His hometown crowd, right? So that gives us the where he's in Nazareth, where he grew up. Okay. What else do we see just on the surface of this passage? Jesus has sisters. Yep. Half sisters. Anyway, and half-brothers as well, right? Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. After is very important part of that, okay? What else? Synagogue leaders. All right, there's uh, synagogue leaders there, synagogue-type people, right? These are people who are familiar with Jesus, right? They watched him grow up. They were there. Right, they were able to name all his brothers by name, not just doesn't he have some relatives around here? These are people who knew who Jesus was his whole life. I think that's 
Um, that's interesting. Uh, so is this the first time that Jesus went to Nazareth during his years of public ministry? Remember, Jesus uh, was in, uh, did public ministry for three and a half years, right? And during that time, did he go to Nazareth before? Oh, now we're testing you. Well, it all depends on who you listen to. Some people say yes, some people say no. Some people say that the other accounts in the Gospels of Jesus visiting Nazareth were this same event, and some say it's different. It doesn't matter what they say. I think there's uh, another time that Jesus visited Nazareth, and that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. I'm one, I wonder if someone would like to read for us uh, from Luke, chapter 4. I've been thinking about Mike reading this all week long. Mike, would you would you uh, be compelled to volunteer to read uh, Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 30? To 30. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many windows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came. Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed but only Naaman and Syria. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Thank you. So you can see how some people would think this is the same uh, account, and it, it, maybe it is. That is to say the same thing, it's not, uh, a prophet is not acceptable in his, in his own hometown. Um, so even if these are two separate events, um, what was the response to, to, to Jesus there in the synagogue? What happened to him then? Not just out. <laughs> they wanted to throw him off a cliff, right? Because he, he, he brought up both a Gentile widow and a Gentile leper. And those were the ones that uh, got answers from the Lord. Um, and the Jews did not like that. So they want to take him to the brow of the hill, a state bank, and chuck him off uh, and kill him. So that's kind of a fun way to go back home, don't you think? That's a good reception there. Um, so thinking about um, going back to our scripture in Mark, um, think about the response of the people um, 
It says that they were astonished. Um, those that heard Jesus were astonished there in verse 2. Um, and they asked some good questions. They said, uh, where does this man get these things? What wisdom is given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Right, if they had stopped there with those questions instead of answering them themselves, they might have been led to faith in Jesus. But they asked some other questions instead, right? Um, what else did they ask after that? Yeah. What? Right. Is it just a just a carpenter, right? Yeah. How is it possible? How is it possible that this guy that grew up here could be saying these things or doing these things? People. Uh, elsewhere, uh, recording the Gospels, uh, someone said, there's a popular saying at the time, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? The disciple Philip said that. Like, well, here's, here's kind of why people say that. Right? You can't give any credit to anyone because you understand or you think you understand what they're from. I think just, a, a, just interesting, here's for your uh, Bible trivia. Um, they asked a question, is is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? They didn't say the son of Joseph. They said the son of Mary. That's really important. Now we can think, oh, well, it's because they understood the virgin birth. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, no, you're shaking your head. No, no, you're right. Your head shaking is correct. This is a derogatory term. Yes. Yes, that's true. But also to say the son of your mother rather than the son of your father is a, was a derogatory term. Um, because that's even, you think of uh, like Barnabas, right? That's a, a nickname and the bar means son of. Barnabas is son of encouragement, right? Um, and that's, that is all traced to the father. So you say son of your mother, it's a, it was a derogatory term. So there's a, it's a little cultural thing that we don't get so much here. If somebody says, uh, is, are you not the son of Jody? I'd be like, yeah. So, you know, there's no big deal here. So think about these people's response. What is it that kept them from having faith in Jesus? Why, why didn't they believe what he was saying? Yeah. Okay. Preconceived notions, sure, Jane. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Who's this? This is not a. This isn't an educated guy. This is a carpenter. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a rabbi. He's just a tradesman, right? Lots of scholars try to figure out what this carpenter is. We think carpenter, and that's a house builder, right? But that's the 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 word that they use is closer to artisan, honestly, than house builder. So it could be furniture or plows or any number of of, of different things, and it's not necessarily just wood, but also stone and metal as well. So now I'm going to test your memory. I think we have uh, talked about um, Jesus' family, his family, and their response to his ministry. Do you remember what his family thought about him and what he was doing? They thought he was crazy. They thought he was crazy. Yeah. They, they're like, you won't even feed yourself anymore. You can't take care of yourself. So his sisters, right, are there. They said are not his sisters here with us. They came to synagogue that day. They're there, right? It's interesting. And they didn't say anything, right? No, 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 listen to him. I don't know. So there are two, there are two places in Scripture that's recorded that Jesus marveled. The word marveled is used. Um, 
and it's used here. Why did Jesus marvel? He marveled at their unbelief. Yeah. Any thoughts of why? Hmm. Well, it's possible. They'd at least heard of the miracles. Right? He said it was not able to do any mighty works there in that place except heal a few sick sick people, which is pretty mighty still. But um, why do you suppose he was not able to do any mighty works? He says he's not able to do any mighty works there. So Jesus' power is dependent on people's faith? Mm-hmm. So, maybe? <laughs> it's, just, it's tricky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's... I think that's a very important uh, idea that the Holy Spirit was not necessarily active in the hearts of the people. They were not receptive to Jesus. And this, sorry? No, go ahead. Isn't his miracles designed to show his redemptive power? And so there's no say what's the point? You know, each time he would say your faith is making you well. Well, it wasn't necessarily physical healing that Jesus was focused on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. I think what's happening here is Jesus is being publicly rejected. It's not just, oh, sure, we believe in Jesus or we, we believe that what he's saying is true. They're saying, they're, no, you're not who you say you are. You're, we know better. You can't claim any of this stuff because we know who you are. We know you, where you came from. They might not know about Bethlehem. They might not know about shepherds and angels and and all that sort of stuff they may not even known that he had gone to egypt before coming to nazareth they might not know that at all maybe they did we don't know but what they're saying is we know better than you about who you are and i think that that's it's a little more than well there just wasn't people that had faith to believe and so the faith that they had gave them power to be healed it's that he's being outright rejected by people that know him Right. And, but there are still people who trusted him and came and were healed. So it's not, I want to, I want to make sure that we understand that it's not our faith that necessarily performs any miracles or makes things happen for us, but it's part of the equation. It's all, it's all works together in ways that we kind of aren't going to get necessarily. Um, but there were some. So why do you think that Mark included this passage, this account? We've talked over and over about how the Gospels were written and arranged in a strategic fashion. We've even seen Mark take things out of order and just lump them together because they're thematically similar. So why do you think Mark included this account? Okay, that's true. Yep. So... Um, this is, yeah, he's certainly not making up this story, right? Any other thoughts? Okay. Yeah, Jesus is quoting scripture, right? Hmm. Yeah, so think about, uh, if, if you can, um, think about some of your, uh, your understanding of church history. Did all of Jesus' brothers reject him forever? No. So do you, can you think of any names of brothers who didn't? James? Any other ones? No. Jude. The author of the epistle, Jude was one of Jesus' brothers, 
And he's named here, only they say his name a little different. Judas. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. All right? So James and Judas, or Jude. Uh, I think probably they might change his name so he was not uh, confused with the other Judas, who's nobody's favorite. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's move to consulting the scholars. I just have one, uh, one long quote for you here um, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, and this is from, from a sermon that he delivered called The Sad Wonder. Um, and this is delivered on June 12th, 1870. You can look it up and read the whole thing if you want. Um, but it will be up on the screen. I'll try to go slow so we're all together. Let us look for a moment or so into what it was in the particular case of unbelief recorded in this chapter, which so remarkably caused the Savior to marvel. Were not these some of the circumstances? Our Lord had come into the district where he had been brought up and where he was well known. He had come there, no doubt, with the most generous intentions toward his fellow citizens willing to make their town his headquarters and to display his miraculous power in acts of beneficence towards all their maimed and sick. But he was met on his first public appearance as a preacher at the synagogue with unbelief, and after a while was even ejected from the place, and they even attempted to cast him down headlong from the brow of the hill where their city was built. No kindly reception awaited him. Cold, stolid unbelief at last turned into cruel, murderous rage. His wonder must have been this. First, he had come here bringing his disciples with him. Each man of them was a witness to his mission. They were truthful men, and some of them were known in the district. They could all bear witness to the miracles which he had worked, to the holiness of his life, to the power of his prayers. He brings these witnesses with him, and yet they inquire not at their hands as candid men should do, but under the influence of an unworthy prejudice, they condemn the Savior and deny his claims. He was one of themselves, they said. How could he be the Messiah? Thus did they seem to plead guilty to the opprobrious proverb, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Our Lord's teaching appears to have struck them. They were astonished at it. And more... They all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and yet they did not believe. Their attention was evidently awakened, and their astonishment was aroused, but yet merely because they happened to know him, and because he preached the gospel too boldly, they allowed their prejudice first to raise the question, Is not this a carpenter, the son of Mary? And next, they rejected him altogether. They went even further than being struck with his teaching, for they acknowledged that he had worked bona fide miracles. They said to one another, What wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are worked by his hands? They did not question the truth of his miracles. They owned them to be mighty works. These miracles should surely have proved something and should at least have shielded the worker from the influence of unreasoning prejudice. And yet they overlooked the overwhelming evidence of his design, divine works, attested as they were by his disciples and even acknowledged by themselves. They virtually asked, How can this be the Christ of God, seeing he is one of our own countrymen, and his mother and his brothers and sisters are all with us? A reason which was indeed no reason, but a disgrace to themselves and an ignominious witness to their own infamy. Again, you can read that whole sermon if you want online. All of his sermons are available to you. Uh, anything stick out to you from that? Josh? There are a lot of big words in there. Ignominious? Opprobrious. Just think bad. It's a bad thing. Yeah. Josh?
something that's sidetracking us, we will always, there will never be a shortage of excuses. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Be it because we know his family, there's always an excuse of why we reject Christ or his truth. Sure. Yep. And you think about your think about your own experience in in sharing the gospel with people uh, that knew you before, knew you before you met Christ. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that was like, "Where is this coming from? I know you," because what's stuck in their mind is who you were, not who you are, not who's within you. It's just I remember when remember that time that you did that thing with that guy. Yeah, everybody still talks about that. You know, that's that very well could be some of the prejudice that Spurgeon's talking about here, I think. Like, I, I know you better than that, right? And I, I think that that happens with people just as it happened to Jesus. We don't generally, you know, get thrown off cliffs for it, but still the rejection is the same. Um, and it's it's very difficult. So as we think through as we think through the issue here, um, what we're what we're dealing with is people's limited views of Jesus. Like he does not have permission to change their view. Okay, does that does that make sense? Um, what what was limiting their view? The the people of Nazareth. Okay. Yeah, what they knew of him from the past. They've already decided, right? There's a word, there's a word Spurgeon used for that. It's, it's prejudice, right? We don't often think of it prejudice that way, but that's the truth. It's a pre prejudged. You've already decided. I know what I know what you are. I've decided what you are. You don't have permission in my mind to be anything else. Right, and we all deal with that in different ways. I think. So, any, anything else? Any other insights of what might have been limiting limiting their views? I don't want to. I just don't want to talk over anybody that has something they want to share. Well, that's assuming that everybody knew that story. I, I don't think that's why they used the expression, isn't this Mary's son? I, I think that would be giving people too much credit. Um, I don't know that that's a story that they would have gone around sharing. Uh, I, but I don't know that it's not either. It's, it's not mentioned. It's not clearly outlined anywhere in Scripture. So we have to be careful that we don't assume one way or the other. But uh, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of they didn't under, they didn't know about bethlehem they didn't know about divine conception or anything like that cuz if they did wouldn't they that would be a little different it's not he's illegitimate i mean he's the son of god because mary told us that's what happened i think he would be treated a little bit differently even by people in nazareth Yeah, that he was conceived out of wedlock. Yeah, I don't think that's what they're accusing him of at this point. Um, so I don't. I think they're just using a derogatory term about him to disparage his character and witness. Is there some pride involved in that too? I mean, he's like us, and how come he's special and we're not? Yeah, what makes you the golden yeah, child? Yeah, a yeah. uh, God did. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's it's. Very possible. Yeah, Lisa? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they're expecting a political messiah, not a spiritual messiah. Um, yeah, one that will blow on the scene with horns and trumpets and horses and all that fanfare, and that's not at all what Jesus did. Um, so again, I think that's a that's a larger part of his rejection among the Jewish people is that he didn't fit the 
their idea, their kind of fairy tale idea of what the Messiah was going to be and do. Yeah? After they made it halfway home, yeah. Yeah, he's treading on thin ice when it comes to their traditions. Well, it snows occasionally on Mount Hermon. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so in thinking about this issue of these, these folks had their, um, their thoughts and their prejudices that were limiting their views of Jesus. They, they're saying you can't possibly the son, be the son of God because you're the son of Mary. You can't possibly be a prophet because you're a carpenter. You can't possibly be a teacher because you're not educated. Um, they had this list of things that said you can't be who you say you are. Um, and that was limiting their views of Jesus. Now, that's them, right? What about you? When you think about your own views of Jesus, what, what limits do you have? What, what limits are in place of your own view of Jesus? Um, um, and should your views be limited? So now you get to answer that question. Doug? I can relate to this uh, scripture. It's kind of witness to your, some of your own family uh, because they look at you like you have been in the past and what have you. And, you know, it's hard to come, come sometimes to witness to your own family and friends because they know your past, what have you, and mm-hmm. they'll kind of sometimes shred you off and say, where are you coming from? Yeah. And, uh, see, I was saved when I was in the service, and then I was always into church and everything, but I met Sherry at Christian camp, and, and my father's comment was, well, you should have married a nun because we went to church quite often. <laughs> so there's an example there. Yeah. I have to witness to your family. When you already know Christ and want to do what Christ wants you to do. Mm. Yeah. They knew you before. Knew you yeah. too well before. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right. So getting back to this thought of, of what limits people's views of Jesus. Their, their views were limited by their prejudice, by their experience uh, with him. What about you? What... What puts your what puts limits on your view of Jesus, Jane? That it certainly is. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Doesn't doesn't do things your way. Okay. Yes, that's very true. Where we live, definitely. Um, we have advantages, or some might say as disadvantages. Yeah. Keep the way sometimes. I pray about something that I don't see, you know, for years I'm praying about something, and then eventually I just, you know, if he wants to do it, he'll do it, but I'll keep happening, so. Hmm. Yeah. I have a story I don't want to tell. <laughs> hmm. I'm not going to tell it. Don't worry. Any other thoughts? What limits our views of Jesus? Doubt. Yeah, just plain old doubt. Yeah. Dinner, and then the times in my life that I 
that I've met people, Jesus in people, are the people maybe that are missing half of their teeth, and they maybe are on the street, and you know what I mean? Sometimes the image of Jesus that, that I think of is this perfect, world-rich, really, mm. image, and Jesus often comes and surprises us, I think, in very humble ways, and um, it's, uh, good to, it's humbling to me to be reminded of that, Jesus is so much bigger than a class. Yeah. Yeah, I think that ties into what Jen said. We live in a first-world country. We expect a first-world Jesus. We expect those kind of answers to our prayers and, and to our thoughts. And this is how Jesus should be, and this is how, if he was going to work, clearly it would be according to this, <laughs> this, uh, this idea. Yeah. Are there, are there limits on our views of Jesus that are good, that, that should be in place? Josh says, yeah. What do you think? Only that, like, you know, being in a relationship with Mary Magdalene and all these kind of weird notions that are, I don't know, they make their way into certain circles in the church, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of weird. So, yes, we should limit it to the truth of the Bible. Okay, that's a really good point. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, that's that's what I'm looking for. Our views of Jesus have to be limited in a certain sense by the truth of the word. Because what happens when the Bible is not our guideline to who Jesus is and what he will do? Well, he's just like the Easter bunny or the tooth fairy. He's going to do whatever I ask him to do. And when he doesn't do what I ask him to do, it's because he must not love me or not be real or, or, or whatever like that. But he never promised that. Like, I'll give you whatever you want. You just ask for it, right? That's that's not in Scripture. He does say whatever you ask for in my name. Uh, that's That in my name is a really important piece. That's not just saying, in Jesus' name, I should have a Ferrari, right? That it, You're not asking in Jesus' name. You're asking in your name and kind of, Sticking his sticker on it. Right, so a transactional type of faith, that leads to more disappointment than anything else, right? I did this, I prayed, and Jesus didn't answer. Or I went and served the poor, or I volunteered at this, and I didn't get anything from God out of it. So that's a, that's a lousy way to follow Christ, yeah. Hmm. That's a really important idea because if we limit Jesus to this building or to a date on the calendar, that's exactly what we're doing. If we don't, if we don't think about him or we don't see him just because we're looking, 
outside of this experience and outside of this context, we certainly are limiting him. And lots of people say they believe in God. We've talked about this before, the demon level faith. Like, I agree in my mind God exists. I Okay, Jesus uh, lived, and even if he lived a perfect life and died on the cross, and that was for, for my sin or whatever, uh, and rose again, and, and now is in heaven with God. So, okay, facts, right? But if there's no daily, moment-by-moment connection to his lordship, Aren't we limiting him, yeah, like you said, to just a savior and not a lord, not a king? I think that's really important. Again, we're going into a system because we have faith and faith. Right. Yeah. Isn't powerlessness our favorite thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew? That's, Yeah. Absolutely. What do you what do you deserve, Andrew? What? It's worse than nothing. What do you deserve? What do we all deserve? Right? We deserve to be destroyed. Right? So the Bible's answer to when you ask your dog, who's a good boy? The answer is nobody. That's that's exact. You're exactly right, Andrew. We ex, we expect good things from God because we think we deserve them. I I deserve a break today. I deserve. Yeah, absolutely. I I've done all this for you, God. Where is my new car? You know, or whatever whatever it is that you're after, Josh. But I, I felt like that, not in them, but I felt, you know, beautiful Redeemer, wonderful Savior, glorious Lord. And I was like, in my own personal walk, and as it relates to my family and all that, I don't feel like I lean or I acknowledge Christ like that. Because I know my struggles, and I know where I fail, and where, you know, what, what things ensnare me and that I fight against. And it's like in those moments, Amen. Amen. I think that that's that's a beautiful thought. Christians lie the most when they sing. I think that's why country music was invented so we could sing the truth. Um, <laughs> sorry. But it brings up a really important point. It, it's because it... For that statement to be true, that Christians lie the most when they sing, that has to do with us and our thoughts and our attitudes, our limitations that we've placed on Jesus because of our our prejudice or our unwillingness to trust his word or to even look at what his word says. Um, that's a real problem. And that lies with us. So, you know, uh, we may not relish the feeling of powerlessness but there are certainly things that we can choose we can we can choose whether or not uh we lie when we sing right because it that's dependent on our own attitude and our own thinking um so that maybe that's a challenge for us is is don't make your singing a lie uh when you're praising the lord and singing these words and that's not to say, well, don't sing if it's not the truth, because uh, it'll probably be really quiet um, in here. But um, I, I think that's a that's a great challenge. So if we consider if we consider the the just the the way we view Jesus, the way the people of Nazareth viewed Jesus, they limited him by their own thoughts. Um, and thinking about how sometimes, probably most of the time, I'd, I'd be willing to say 
almost all the time, we allow our own thoughts to limit Jesus. It doesn't actually limit him. I want to make that very clear. We, we, we cannot keep Jesus from doing anything because of our thought patterns, right? Jesus is, is all-powerful. We can't limit him. However, we can, we can limit our relationship with him. We can limit our experience with him because we don't give him the credit that he's due. We don't give him um, enough uh, control of our lives. Um, and these, the people in Nazareth allow their prejudice and their limited understanding of who Jesus was uh, to keep them from faith in him. And we can say, you know, no, we believe in Jesus, right? We have faith in Jesus. That's why we came here this morning. Um, yeah, but it's not really our gathering here that proves anything. It, it proves that you all set your clocks ahead last night. And that's great. Good job. But is there is there more? I mean, it certainly might say something to the world that you came this morning and the people know that you're faithful and part of a church family, and that's wonderful. But what about the rest of the time? I think that's really important as well. How we live shows, and that's kind of what I was getting at with my question, is how we live shows what limits we've put on Jesus, right? We, we prove our faith by what we do. We prove our faith by what we say. We prove our faith by what we think. Um, and I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle, that if we're allowing Scripture, if we're allowing the Bible to be the boundaries to define uh, faith and life and, and, and trust in Christ, we're going to be in better a better place than if it's just like, well, the Bible says somewhere, I know it's in there, that, you know, uh, God won't give me more than I can handle, right? That's not really in the Bible. So that's quite the opposite is in the Bible. <laughs> going to give you more than you can handle every single second of your life. That's the point. Right, so that we trust in Christ. Um, so I think that that's really important and a challenge to us is to understand what the true limits of our understanding of Christ should be, and they are all found in his word. Um, so I think, I, uh, I know I'll give you an assignment um, here at the end, but I think that should be part of it, is allowing scripture to be our true limit of our understanding of Jesus and it's very possible that as we examine Scripture, as you examine Scripture, your limits may expand. I, I, I don't want to get stuck in just this contracting thought that, you know, your, your views are all over the map. Our views are way out there, and they need to be brought back down. Maybe some of them do, but... Yeah, that's a great point. Let's not be guilty of the same thing that they were. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's not just enough to have a clear grasp of the issue. Uh, it's not enough to just accurately understand the core truths of a passage or a verse in the Bible. We have to apply it, right? We're not just here for head knowledge, um, but we're here for... Um, our own growth and discipleship. So, consider your views about Jesus. This is what we've been after um, all morning. Consider your views about Jesus and what it is that limits them. 
And again, I think this isn't an all or nothing. Uh, you know, you might have a lot of biblically based views of Jesus, and then you might have a few experientially based or maybe uh, past history or something somebody said to you once that, um, who knows? Um, maybe it's all good. Maybe it's all bad. It's probably a mix uh, for all of us and myself included. Um, so you have to consider your views and what what limits your views of Jesus. The people of Nazareth allowed their views of Jesus to keep them, uh, their views of Jesus to keep them from faith in him. Um, so the question that you have to answer for yourself is, do your views of Jesus truly keep him from trust, keep you from trusting him in all aspects of your life? Are you, are you good with some public aspects, but not some private aspects or, or, or good with private aspects and not good with public aspects? Um, I think that's an important thing to think about as well. So the lesson, the lesson we're dealing with here is clear. The limits of our views of Jesus will limit our faith, will limit our lives, will limit our understanding. Um, and they're not all bad. Uh, the Bible gives us good limits. Our imagination and our history and our, pre, our prejudice uh, are bad limits. Um, however, this is not just the answer to the test, so you can check it off and move on. Um, we, if we do not apply this principle to our lives, right, in some real way, it's just stuck in our head, not in our heart, and doesn't get lived out in our lives. So we need both. We need all of that to work together so that we mature. So as you think back through all that we've talked about this morning and the fun, curvy, windy path that's gotten us to this point, um, how can you design an application for your life? How do you put this to work? How does, what needs to change uh, in order for this principle to be applied? Um, how can you apply these thoughts to your life specifically? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I'm afraid that's not a good answer. No, we're called to do just the opposite. Any other thoughts? Okay. Okay. Read your Bible. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Yep. <laughs> Good Sunday school answer, gold star, Ben. <laughs> but it's, there's a lot of truth in there. It's, it's not wrong. It's absolutely true. Yeah, participate in the study of the Word with other people. That's why we all get a copy of it. Yeah, absolutely. Attend a Bible study. Dig in more with each other. Part of the beauty of this method um, is is that though my role may be kind of a gatekeeper, I am not the king of all information. Um, you know, uh, so that we can all share the word that the Lord gives to us uh, and measure it by God's word together as a group. Um, I think that's really important. Um, this same study process that we've been doing, these steps of, of um, study the scripture, think, um, consult the scholars, think through the issues, apply the principles, this is not a new method. And we have all kinds of resources that follow the same method that deal with a lot of other principles. Um, Nate's study is first principles. That's, um, it's just a set of principles. We're going through Mark, but there's uh, a set of principles um, that that they're working through, um, so that's that is available. Um, any other thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
So here is your assignment for the week. Again, I'm not, uh, I haven't checked anybody's papers yet, uh, and I'm not going to. So this is, this is for your own growth and benefit. Um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not collecting papers, but I will say that if you do this, it will help you grow. And if you care about that, um, this is a, this is a good, um, practice. It, there's simple things to think about and do throughout the course of the week. So your assignment this week is to consider your own views of Jesus. Consider how you think about Jesus. What kind of, how much rope do you give him in your life? Does he have it all? Does he just have parts? Does he have public parts? Is there only private aspects of your lives that he's allowed to be involved in? So ask the Lord to give you clarity on this. If you just say, well, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> Assignment finished, right? You, you haven't been honest with yourself, right? So this is an opportunity for you to participate with the Holy Spirit in examining your own heart, examining your own life. So take that seriously. Ask the Lord to give you clarity and write out your views of Jesus as a confession. Um, you're familiar maybe with the confessions like the, um, like the Apostles' Creed and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of a list of facts. But I, I, I want you to, to consider your own views of Jesus. Ask the Lord to give you clarity. Write them out as a confession. You know, Lord, I confess I have this view and then maybe it's not biblical and it needs to be shifted. Or maybe I have these views and they're all good. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to give you a lot of fill in the blanks there. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, to work with you through that process. Okay. And write them down. And, you know, maybe looking back in a year, you could say, what a nut job I am or was back then. I can't believe I used to think these things. Um, I keep all of my notes from sermon prep and, and study and all that sort of stuff, I've got notebook after notebook after notebook stashed away in a drawer. And I don't want to go back and look at them and feel sorry for the poor people I was preaching to. Um, but those things are important to help you see your own growth. Right? If you mark this down and stash it in a drawer, go back in a year, 10 years, and say, wow, praise the Lord, look how far you've brought me. Um, so that's your that's your assignment. Consider your views of Jesus uh, and write them out as a confession. Okay? Any other final thoughts as we close? All right, let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for the way that you work among us. We're so thankful for your word and how you instruct us, um, how you've challenged us this morning uh, to consider how it is that we view you. Um, what permissions that we give you in our lives. And um, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for those times that we have allowed our own prejudice or our own experience to limit our view of you. Um, when those things don't line up with what your word says about you. Um, Lord, I just pray that as we work through this assignment this week, that you would give us clarity, that you would show us um you know, areas in our lives where we've been getting it wrong so that we could make corrections um, and live lives that bring you more glory um, and show your love to our neighbors and friends. And I pray, Lord, if um, if we get into a situation where we seems like we are too close to home and people won't listen to us because they knew us before, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in those um, situations that, that that fear wouldn't keep us from sharing the truth, but also that uh, your spirit would work in the hearts of those that we do know the best, um, that might have known us before, but have, can see the changes that you've made in our lives um, so that they would know that you are alive and living inside of us. Father, I ask now that uh, if there's anyone here who has not put their faith in Christ, who has not uh, trusted in Jesus to forgive their sin, uh, to be their Savior and also to put their trust in Him as Lord and follow Him. I pray that even now I just simply uh, ask you for forgiveness, um, admit that they have sinned, uh, confess their sin to you, and accept your sacrifice on the cross for them uh, and commit their lives to you. Um, 
Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being your family, Lord. Uh, we're so grateful. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless if you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.